again on a Sunday for all of our guests that are with us today. We're glad that you could be here with us and next uh, at Grace Church of Central today. Shout out to all of our podcasters out there, all of you that listen during the week because you are serving elsewhere on the Grace Church campus or you're out of town or just because you can't make that 10.05 start time that's just so hard to get up and and get here. Look, no judgment, no judgment at all. Um, We're just glad that you're listening. Listen, I want to give out just a few special thank yous. First of all, I want to again thank um, Heather uh, for providing some goodies for us today, some health-conscious, low-carb goodness that that she brought, and I I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, Troy, thank you, man, every Sunday for cleaning up, and anybody that chips in and helps him after we're done, Troy's in there taking care of coffee pots and and cleaning up messes that I make, and uh, (laughs) I appreciate that very much. Um, Nathan, Greg, Renita, Christy, media team people, Thank y'all for what you do. They don't always get a lot of lead time from me, and uh, sometimes there are technical issues that are beyond their control, but they always come through. Derek Odom with slide creation, and then Julia, um, who's still talking, is uh, she takes care of. Um, <laughs> she just ign- this, she just ignores me. She just keeps on rolling, but takes care of who's here every Sunday, keeping track of who's here, and I. I just, my point is this, there are a lot of people that contribute to make Next a great experience for everybody uh, Sunday to Sunday, and there's no way in the world I could do all of this myself, and so I just want to say thank you and how much we appreciate um, you doing what you do, because Next is a great experience week to week, uh, just because people are doing what they can uh, with what they have, where they are, and uh, that it makes a big difference, so thank you all so much. Look, we hope that Next adds some value to your life today. We want to encourage you, we want to inspire you, but we also want to motivate you and challenge you. If, if you feel better about yourself by the time you leave here today, but then you also walk out thinking, uh, I've got a little work to do, yes, that's what we want. That We want you to feel good when you leave, but we also want you thinking about changes that you can make, and we'd consider that a success. So last week, uh, we talked to you about rhythm and timing, speeding up and slowing down with wisdom. And I gave you four times that God wants you to speed up and move quickly. And then I gave you three times that God wants you to just, to just slow down. And, and we understand that there are natural rhythms to life. There are ebbs and flows. There are waves that God sends our way. And knowing when to speed up and when to slow down, and how to stay in time with God for your life. And in Christianese, we call that walking in the Spirit. But how to stay in time and in rhythm with Him, it just makes for a better life. And so if you missed that last week, or if I'm talking and using like I was here, but none of that sounds familiar, then uh, check out the podcast from last week. It's up. Um, Media team's doing a great job with getting those up that day. But uh, check it out. It'll be good for you. Um, this week, okay, I, I've got to be honest with my nexters guy. I'm gonna tell you, I don't really even know what to call this. Um, some things have been have been rolling around in my brain and and seeping into my spirit. It keeps cropping up in books that I'm reading and podcasts that I'm listening to and sermons that I've watched. And I just I really can't quite get my head around all of it. 
Um, so I'm going to teach it and see if that helps because you never really absorb something until you have to, to teach it. Uh, part of the problem, though, I think is, um, is that right now in, in this um, historical sequence Bible devotion that I'm doing, right now I'm in the book of Job. And uh, for those of you that have read through the book of Job before, you know that several chapters um, after the calamity happens, and, and just trying to put myself in Job's shoes, where in one day, uh, one after the other, somebody comes and says, hey, you just lost your job. Hey, you just lost all of your children. Hey, you, I mean, your life is just completely turned upside down. It's hard to put myself in those shoes but then the comforting friends that come to him and then just sit there and look at him for seven days and don't say anything, thanks a lot. And then they start telling him, well, you know, pretty much, now they don't say it this way, but in some way, shape, or form, Job, all of this suffering that you're enduring is probably your own fault. You're probably sinful. And Job defending himself, and that just goes on for chapter after chapter after chapter, Job talking about his suffering and how God's not paying attention or that God must not care that the wicked prosper. And he doesn't say it exactly that way. That's the Jason Cooper translation. But you go through and read those chapters, you'll see what I'm talking about. And so all of this stuff has just been kind of jumbled up in my brain, and, and I'm trying to, to work it out. But what I want to talk to you about today is chasing comfort. Chasing comfort. And just as a way to launch, I want to read a scripture from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 3 through, 3 through 7. We don't always take a text in here today, but uh, we are today. And this is just a launching point. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 in the NIV, it says this. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all. What does it say? The God of all what? Comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So we're like five lines in, and he's mentioned comfort like 12 times. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Does, uh, does anyone else other than me have a favorite hoodie at home? Anybody? Okay. Um, I, I brought mine. This is uh, this is my hoodie from the Cambria General Store. Now, don't look at that part right there because it talks about how they sell beer, liquor, and wine. But this, uh, so just ignore that part. Focus, uh, focus on the Cambria part. We're not endorsing those substances at all, um, but we are endorsing Cambria and this sweatshirt because this sweatshirt is amazing. Um, it, it, it's a low-key natural, neutral, grayish, heather kind of color. It's really soft. It's very warm. It's bigger than it needs to be, which is really important to me right now. And uh, it's also low maintenance because 
whenever I bought it, uh, Julie and I were in Cambria, California, and it was cold. Uh, well, I mean, a lot colder than what we thought. The low was going to be like 54, and we had bought like, you know, hanging out in California clothes, and it was breezy coming off the, coming off the bay, and uh, so we go to this general store there in Cambria, and this salty lady named Lorraine sold me this sweatshirt. But whenever she sold it to me, it had like a like a discolored patch on the front, like it had been folded up and sitting on the shelf for just too long. And so part of it had gotten discolored. So I'm like, I'm never washing this. I mean, it's already like jank. But you know, I may have to renege on that depending on on what I get on it. But um, you know, it's it's low maintenance. I have fond memories of the place uh whenever whenever we were in Cambria I just I really enjoy this hoodie it's comfortable it's just so comfortable I've got a favorite pair of pants too um matter of fact I like them so much I bought four pair in different colors so I've got navy I've got khaki I've got gray and I've got black all in the same brand and style uh you know what makes them special they fit they fit. They're comfortable. They're kind of stretchy. Whatever they're made out of is kind of stretchy material. And that's really important to me. Like for 215 reasons, uh, that's really important to me right now. Most of those reasons are around my butt and thighs, but it means a lot to me. Now, look, they, they look decent, I think. Uh, if they don't look decent, somebody be my friend and tell me. Uh, but they weren't real expensive. Um, but what makes them so great to me isn't the look. So fashionistas who will suffer for the sake of looking good for people that you don't really care about, I'm sorry, it's not the look of the pants that matters to me. It wasn't the value. So you people that will buy something that is uncomfortable and tight and scratchy because you don't want to pay a dime more than necessary, more power to you, but it wasn't the look or the value that appealed to me. What makes these pants my favorite is just it's the fact that they're comfortable. They're comfortable. So don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I do like to, I like to look nice, um, but I also believe that the, the Bible tells us that we should dress appropriately for the situation. The Bible doesn't really say that. That's like Jason Cooper, chapter 1, verse 4. As soon as church is over and lunch is done, the church clothes come off, and you know what? Pajamas and favorite hoodie go on, and, and that's just, that's, that's the way it's going to work this afternoon, and I'm not going to have any trouble taking a nap for about two hours. You know why? Because I'm going to be comfortable. I like being comfortable. Comfortable clothes, comfortable pillows. I know recliners aren't in style anymore, but I love them because they're comfortable. Comfort food. I will shamelessly invite myself over to your house for comfort food, like a, just a, a good hearty beef stew or beef and ma- like a roast beef and mashed potatoes. Watch out, a big old bucket of bluebell. It's not always good for you, especially in the quantities that I like to consume it in, but it sure does make you feel good when you're eating it, doesn't it? When I'm sick, when I'm tired, when I'm stressed out, when I'm hurt, when I'm lonely, Sometimes whenever I'm just plain bored, or maybe I'm not any of those, sometimes it's just, the, to be honest, sometimes it's just the natural crease of my own personal tendencies to seek comfort, to look for and relax into things that make me 
comfortable. Now, comfort is one of those words that we think we understand, but we totally don't. We, we don't understand that word at all. The history of the word is fascinating because the word comfort, it, it originally was made of two Latin word roots. The first one is com, which means together, C-O-M, com, and then fortis, which means strength or strong. So you put those two Latin roots together, com and fortis, and you have a word that means together strength or strength together, strong together. And sometime later, that word became another Latin word, comfortare, which means to strengthen much. Then eventually, an old French word cropped up, comfortaire. You say it with your nasty French accent. And it added words like solace and help to the definition. Then in the 14th century, another French word, comforten, is defined as to cheer up or console. But then finally, in the 17th century, this English word, this English version of the word came up that implies this sense of physical ease that we understand today. So now, whenever we say, he lives in comfort, what we mean is, he lives without pain. He lives without struggle. Whenever we say, they made me feel very comfortable, what we mean is, they made me feel at ease. I didn't lack for anything. Why, why the language lesson, Coop? I mean, why, why, does, why does any of this matter? Well, it matters because over the course of a, of a millennium, the word comfort went from meaning together strength to meaning pain barrier. It went from meaning strong together to meaning I don't lack for anything. So I've got a question for us today. And hold on because this was a doozy. But do you see God as your strength together with you in the midst of your pain? Or do you see him as your barrier from pain? Do you see God as your strength together with you in the middle of your struggle? Or do you see God as your barrier from struggle? Do you see God as your strength together with you whenever you are in lack and missing things? Or do you see him as the one who keeps you from lacking and missing? Y'all with me so far? Pretty quiet in here. And look, if you don't like this, I'm with you. Totally with you. I didn't like it first. Okay? So I just want to make sure we understand, you, uh, understand each other that, uh, today. I'm not teaching this because I like it. I'm teaching it because it won't get out of my spirit. And I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. So how do you see him? Is he your together strength? Or is he your pain barrier? Let me read that scripture again with this, with this, this meaning of comfort in our minds now. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through seven. Let's read it again, but with a little bit more insight into what comfort really means. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Making a little more sense now? Nobody. Like nobody? Really? 
Yes, thank you. All right. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Look at the way suffering and comfort are connected through Jesus. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. You know, we read scriptures like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, 7, and we process this word comfort. And maybe before the little language lesson, it, it's easy for us to think of the emotional or spiritual equivalent of plushy pillows and hot buttery mashed potatoes, or maybe a favorite hoodie or a stretchy pair of pants, something that makes us feel better. In about a thousand years, this word went from meaning together strength to meaning pain barrier or not needing or wanting anything. We went from understanding God's comfort as his strength in our struggle due to his presence to instead thinking of comfort as his intervention every time I'm hurting. And when something terrible happens and we don't see God intervene, we sometimes start to wonder whether he's really there at all. In real life, it, 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 looks, like, it looks like this. My child is chronically sick and I prayed, but nothing changed. And she's still in the hospital more than she's out of the hospital. And I am exhausted and I'm worried and I'm angry. Where's God? Where's my comfort. I lost my job and it was no fault of my own. I didn't do anything to get fired. I lost my job and I prayed and I've been praying, but I'm still looking for employment three months later and things are starting to get pretty tight and I'm anxious and I'm trying to be brave for my family, but where's God? Where's my comfort? My heart is hurting from a serious betrayal. And I prayed, but the person that hurt me hasn't even tried to make it right. And I'm still struggling big time with hatred and bitterness, if I'm honest. Where's God? Where's my comfort? And if that's you today, if any of that hits home with you, first of all, I want you to know you're not alone in any of that because that's all of us. That's all of us. Can we be real for just a few minutes today and say, look, Jason, there are some places that I thought God would step in and take some pain away, but it just it hasn't happened the way that I thought it would. Back before comfort word morphed, King David experienced times when God just seemed inattentive. Even though David was obviously hurting, and he wrote about it in Psalms chapter 13. Now look, we don't know, I'll tell you this, we don't know the context for, for this psalm. We don't know the historical landscape of when he wrote this. 
Uh, scholars haven't been able to attach it to any historical event in David's life. Did he write it after being anointed king uh, and then sent back to the field to tend sheep in obscurity? Maybe. We don't know. Did he, did he write it after being snubbed by the Jebusites in Jerusalem after he had defeated the giant Goliath in front of an entire nation? Maybe. We don't know. Did he write it one day while he was on the run from King Saul for at least seven years, maybe as long as 12 years? We don't know. Did he write it uh, whenever he was a king over a partial kingdom? as he ruled in Hebron for seven years? Did he write it whenever he was on, a, on, on the run from his own son Absalom during a civil war? Did he write it whenever he was suffering from the shame and the guilt over what he did with Bathsheba and Uriah? Maybe. We don't know. There were all kinds of places in David's life where this psalm could have been written. And maybe it was none of those. Maybe, maybe this was just some other dark time in David's life. I mean, do you all ever have one of those? Nothing terrible's just happened. It's just you struggling in your mind and in your spirit. You're having a dark time. The scripture doesn't really record it. I mean, maybe this was just an off day for David and not attached to some major event. But even though we don't know the historical context, it's still pretty plain how David was feeling. Now, look, I really want to drive this home. I'm not belaboring the point, and I've got plenty of material. I've got over 20 pages of notes. We're not going to get through it all today. So we're not struggling for material. I just, I told you, it's been rolling around in my brain for a long time. I can't get it out. But I really want you all to see this. We're going to look at this three different times. So let's, let's look at it in the King James. Time for a little teaching. Psalm chapter 13, verses 1 through 6 in the King James. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now look at, look at it in the NIV. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I, listen to this, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. He's asking for understanding. Or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Now, one more time, let's go to the way other end of the spectrum and look at Eugene Peterson's The Message. All right. So now we're as far away from the King James as we can possibly get. And look at what it says. Long enough, God. That's long enough. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough, I've carried this ton of trouble and lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough, my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Take a good look at me, God, my God. 
I want to look life in the eye so no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. I've thrown myself headlong into your arms, and I'm celebrating your rescue. I'm singing at the top of my lungs. I am so full of answered prayers. There's such a shift between like the first four verses and the last two verses. Like David is maybe a little like not on his meds that day or something because there's such a shift there. It's like he's trying to figure out exactly where God fits into whatever struggle he's having right now. Like I've got all these issues, God, and I've got all these problems and it kind of seems like you're ignoring me. But I'm still convinced of your goodness. Doesn't that sound just like us on a Monday afternoon? God, I'm hurting. I'm tired. I'm trying hard to keep up this brave front and be full of faith. But really, like, where are you? Because I know you're good. Like, I know that. I know that in my mind. I know you're good. But you haven't rescued me from my pain yet. And that's so frustrating and confusing because I know you can and I know that you love me and care about me. But yet, I'm still hurting. Where is my comfort? Talk about bipolar. I'm not not slamming anybody's diagnoses here, but we can see it in David. You talk about a contradiction Where's the comfort, man? Now, this one will really make you feel better. Watch this one. Totally different. I'm not being sarcastic this time. Totally different. David David had it figured out today. Took his medicine. Psalm 103. We're going to read the whole thing. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Thank you, Jesus. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his own children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But... From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord. All his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. David was all over the place. In the dumps on the mountaintop. Loving life, hating life. 
God, where are you? God, you're amazing. Somewhere, somehow, his perspective on what it meant to be comforted by God shifted, changed, got deeper, something, I don't know. But something, something's different. Something changed. And I don't know what happened, but here's what I think. Here's what I think. If David got there, then we can too. Whatever that change was, whatever that shift in perspective was, if David was able to make that shift, then so can I, and so can you. And maybe, maybe this will help. It might not be the answer, but it, at least it's a place to start. And we're, we're getting close to being done. The prophet Isaiah foretold of a coming Messiah who would enter our world in order to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That's Isaiah chapter 53, right? We've heard that before. Now, if, if, if the very nature of our faith as Christians is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and be his disciples, then we should probably consider his response to pain and suffering. Talking about chasing comfort. Y'all with me? So look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you a what? An example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So here's what I got so far. Here we see a, a Savior, a Messiah, who accepted pain quietly. I really don't like that at all. Who accepted pain quietly despite having done nothing to earn it. Now some of the pain, Aaron, in my life, my fault. I did it to me. Opened my mouth when I shouldn't have. Said too much, didn't do enough. Sometimes, Michelle, it's just my fault. But Jesus, none of it was his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. Jesus didn't avoid pain, and he didn't look for a scapegoat either. In fact, quite the opposite. He comes into our world and makes our pain his pain. Jesus is our together strength. He suffered for us, yes, but then... Before he goes back to be with the Father, he promises us that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would not only be together with us, but in us. Not just suffering 
for us, but suffering with us as it is in us. Now that, that's comfort worth chasing. Now I I know, I get it, um, it's very tempting to chase after worldly versions of comfort. Binge on another Netflix series with your trusty friends Ben and Jerry right there by your side. It's tempting, I get it. Just something that numbs the pain, distracts our minds from the situation, a shopping trip, a Facebook scroll, another hour or two or three at work to avoid what's waiting at home, another medicated nap. But instead, instead, let's pursue comfort from the Holy Spirit. Knowing this, knowing this, that it doesn't mean a pain-free life, but His strength with us in the middle of our pain. Let's chase after a true comforter. The one who says, look, I've tried your heart and I know all of your anxious thoughts. I know every single one of your anxious thoughts. But I will never leave you nor forsake you. I see the thing you're worried about, but I'm not going anywhere. You're not alone in your hurt. So let me come alongside you and walk with you through this thing. That's your comforter. I want to leave you with just one more thing, and then we'll pray. But I found this this morning, right? Been working on this cotton picking thing all week long, and I find this this morning. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Now, look, this is important. This was spoken to the remnant, right? The, the, the Israelite nation was in captivity right now, they were in exile in Babylon. So, this was spoken to the remnant that was still back in Jerusalem. In other words, get this part this was the promise that was given to what's left. The good stuff had been taken away. What was left was the halt, the lame, the ones that had mental issues, emotional. If there was something flawed or wrong with them, that's what got left behind. The Babylonians took everything good. What was left behind in the remnant was just the leftovers. And this is what the promise was given to what was left And it says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That's your promise. If you're in pain, if you're hurting, if you're wondering where your comfort is and you're just looking at what you've got left and it just doesn't inspire a lot of confidence and hope, what a powerful promise. He delights in you and he rejoices over you and he's not rebuking you, but he's singing over you. Wow. Let's pray. God, I, I don't like discomfort. 
opposed to the whole idea, as a matter of fact. I'd rather just stay comfortable. But I love you. Please change my understanding of your comfort and help me to really feel it. Jesus, show me your together strength that's with me and in me. Lord, thank you for suffering for me and bearing my shame and sin on the cross. Thank you for being wounded and bruised for my mistakes. Thank you for coming to live in me and making your strength perfect in my weaknesses. I need your comfort. I need your together strength. Be with me, Jesus. Look, next week, I got to warn you, (laughs) we're not done. We're not done with this at all. I wanted to get it all done today, but we're not done. So next week, um, we'll talk some more about comfort. Next week specifically, I really want to get into this idea of dysfunctional comfort and comfort zones and getting out of them. Um, So we'll, we'll be here for the next week or two. Come back next week. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. Today was just so light and fluffy, right? This is good for you. We need this. We need this. We need this. So we'll look. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a great day. We'll see you next door in a little bit.